our gospel today, we continue through the 15th chapter of St. John, which first showed up in our Sunday gospel last weekend. And in the particular passage that we're given today, along with our second reading, also from St. John, I think we can easily piece together three essential elements that when you put them together in order, basically explain God's plan for each of us, his plan of salvation. And these three elements are things that are uh, desperately needed in our culture today, because our culture is sort of without anchors or sort of roots to really understand where they've come from and where God is calling them to. And so I think paying close attention to these three elements and sort of thinking to yourself as I kind of try and unpack these, like how can I best proclaim these to people around me? Something that I'd encourage you to do during the homily. The first thing that we can draw out from the Gospel and also from the passage from the letter of St. John is that God's love is the first in our relationship with Him. In other words, He takes the initiative. This is something that all of us have heard at some point or another in our life, but we need to hear it time and time again. We do not initiate relationship with God. He initiates it with us. And once He initiates it, He never goes back. Once He decides to love us, to begin a relationship with us, He never revokes that decision. So it's very, very important. The Lord says to the apostles in today's gospel, it was not you who chose me. It was not you who chose me. I chose you. This applies to every single one of us. It's not you who chose me. I who chose you. And this is something we can apply to a couple of the principal sort of moments in our lives. First of all, our creation. Right? God chose freely to create each of us. Each of us was an individual thought, an individual decision of God. It was not sort of something that happened accidentally or by random chance. He chose each and every one of us. And it's important, I think, in this life to remember that when the Lord created us, He did not need us and still does not need us in any strict sense of the word. We are not strictly speaking, necessary in in any way, shape, or form. And this may sound somewhat insulting, perhaps, but it's actually a, a very freeing truth. God did not need me, but He wanted me, which is which is much more satisfying. God God did not need you, but He wanted you. Like each and every one of you in this room, He willed your existence. He chose to bring you into this world. And this is something that should fill our hearts with an incredible sense of of freedom and joy. It should be sort of a very joy-filled prayer that's sort of constantly on our thoughts and in our heart. Say, Lord, like, you didn't need me, but you wanted me, right? You still don't need me, per se, but you want me. Right? And, and your desire to give yourself to me and to love me is never going to change. Like there's, there's really almost nothing else in the Christian life that's going to fill us with more joy and also more security than that. 
knowing that the Lord has chosen to bring me into existence and He, he does not go back on, on that decision to, to love. He does not go back on that. If you and I live this truth every day, that God wants us and that He'll never go back on that, we'll never have an identity crisis. Right? Our, our world today is, is full of identity crises. People have no idea where they're from, no idea where they're going. And we have to tell them where they're from and where they're going. We have to tell them, look, God made a decision that He didn't have to, to create you out of love. And He will never revoke that decision. He, he chose you. You know, oftentimes in, in, in our society, we'll hear the phrase like the self-made man. Because we've all heard this at some point or another. The self-made man. And, and nothing could be, when we pause for five seconds to think about it, nothing could be more ab absurdly false. <laughs> There's no such thing as, as a self-made man. Not, none of us made ourselves. We were given our existence by another, by God, through the cooperation of our parents. Right? The fact that we exist is due in no way, shape, or form to any decisions that we made. And to receive that, and to know that that, that was a decision of love on God's part, is something that should give us immense security, and something that we, we need to tell the world in, in, a, in, a desperate, um, in a desperate way. There's no such thing as, as a self-made man. And this, this dynamic of God taking the initiative applies not only to our creation, but also to our redemption, of course. St. John says, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as expiation for our sins. So we can make that same prayer to the Lord. We can say, Lord, You didn't have to send Your Son. You didn't have to send Your Son, but You wanted to send Your Son because You love me. So it's so important that we, that we really embed these truths in our hearts. We know that, that God has freely chosen to create us and freely chosen to redeem us. There is no more secure foundation that, that you will ever be able to build your life on than that. A free decision of the Lord. You did not have to create me. You did not have to redeem me. But you did it because you loved me. You, you wanted me. And when I had fallen through sin, you wanted me back. This is absolutely criti critical for us to get right. The second thing we can draw out of our gospel and our, our second reading today is that our, resp our response to this crazy initiative of love on God's part has to include obedience to His commands. Right? We hear this time and again, that, that, that love of God is wrapped up in being obedient to His commandments. This is, this is the love of God, we read, that we keep His commandments. I think there's two mistakes that people often make here when they think about the commandments of God. The first of them is, is thinking that our obedience to the Lord and following His commands is somehow, somehow benefits Him or it's somehow for His sake, right? Some of us, I think, maybe subconsciously can, can grow up thinking that God somehow needs our obedience in order for Him to be fulfilled or, or something like that and that He has sort of like a daily obedience quotient that, that, or quota that, that he needs in order to somehow be satisfied. Which again, pause for five seconds to think about it, it's the most absurd thing in the world. God is, is the perfection of, of, every, of everything. He lacks nothing. 
We need to be obedient to His commands for our own sake. The reason the Lord gives us commandments is not somehow because He needs our obedience. He gives us commandments for our own sake because He wants us to be happy. Right? This is very important. Again, these are fundamental truths as a faith. Right? God commands us to be obedient to Him for our sake, not, not for His. Imagine a parent, for example, who commands their two-year-old child to not put their, you know, not put their finger in the electrical socket. They're not, they're not commanding that of their child out of some weird need for like this child to be obedient to them. Like, I'm not gonna be able to make it through this day if like my child, you know, doesn't obey one of my commands. No, they, they tell their two-year-old to not put their, their finger in the socket because they love their child and they don't want their child to get hurt. This is why God gives us commands, not because He has some weird need to be satisfied by our obedience, but for our own good. He says, follow these commands and you will be happy. Follow these commands and you will be happy. It's for our sake that He gives us commandments. Obedience to God's commands is for our own good. A second mistake that we can often make when we, when we ponder sort of God's commandments, and, and this is of course very common in the world, that is to see his commandments as somehow arbitrary or restrictive or imposing or burdensome. Scripture directly combats this temptation that we might have to think that the Lord's commandments are in any way, shape, or form restrictive or, or burdensome, right? In the same first letter from John, he says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Jesus himself says the same thing. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think an, an analogy here might, might be helpful because whether, whether you've maybe struggled with this idea that God's commandments are somehow arbitrary or burdensome or you can name you know, many people in your own life who sort of see them as that, um, an analogy can be helpful to explain why they're not, uh, why they're not this at all. So if you imagine that, call this guy Joe, Let's say he's a, he's a new carpenter, um, and he orders a table saw. He's really excited to get his first table saw. And of course, when the table saw arrives at his carpentry shop, it comes with an instruction manual. But, but Joe is sort of kind of a rebellious guy a little bit, and so he gets this instruction manual, and he thinks to himself, how, how dare this table saw company tell me how to build this table saw and use it? Now, who, what do they think they am? Uh, you know, an idiot? Like, how dare they tell me how to build this table saw and use it? So he ignores the instruction manual and he builds the table saw however he, he sees fit and he uses it however he wants. And by day two, he's lost a couple fingers and he had a two by four just sort of get slingshotted from the table saw and almost kill somebody else in his, in his carpenter shop. Bad things happen <laughs> because Joe did not follow the instruction manual for building and using this table saw. This is exactly what we do and what the world does when it rejects God's basic commandments. How dare God tell me not to lie, right? <laughs> How dare God tell me not to do this or to do that? And we go off and we, we do our own thing, we, we build our own life, right, outside of His commandments. In other words, we build our table saw without using His instruction manual and bad things happen. Sin brings disorder and chaos into the world. It brings resentment and brokenness and hatred 
and division and disorder and, and, and every bad thing under the sun because we thought we knew better than God what will make us happy. Right? This is the dynamic at play when we reject the Lord's commandments. Right? He gives us this instruction manual not as an arbitrary list but as something that will help us be fulfilled as, as, as human beings. Take the Ten Commandments, for example. Eighth Commandment, not to lie. It's not arbitrary. That's how we were built as humans. We flourish when we live in the truth. And so does society. A society cannot stand if lying is just sort of happening at all levels, all the time. Right? It's necessary for us to be able to trust one another, for a family, a community, a nation to thrive. The commandment not to lie is not some arbitrary restriction from God. Is simply how we were made. Take, for example, the, the commandments having to do with worship of God, one through three. It's not an arbitrary, restrictive command of God that we worship Him. This is simply how we were made. We're creatures. We did not give ourselves our own existence. And therefore, on a natural level, we have a need to give worship to the one who gave us our existence, who is God. It's not an arbitrary command to worship the Lord once a week at Mass on Sunday. It's simply, it's simply how we were made. It's how we were made. So it's very important for us to understand. Very important, I would say, too, for us to be able to explain to other people. Most of the world sees commandments of God, religious rules, if you will, as totally arbitrary and, and pointless. We have to be able to explain it. No, actually, when I follow these things, my life becomes more full. I flourish as a human being. I become who I was meant to be. We have to, we have to be able to explain this well to people. The, the last thing I'll mention about obedience here is that obedience, you know, Jesus says, remain in my love. If you follow my commandments, you will remain in my love. So he, he draws this sort of parallel. He says, Obedience is basically equal to love. Why, why would it be necessary for us to obey the Lord's commandments to say that we love Him? Well, it's pretty simple, really. If we don't obey His commandments, if we sort of reject the instruction manual for our life, we're basically saying to the Lord to His face, like, Lord, I don't trust You. I don't, I don't trust that You know what's good for my life. I don't trust that You want what's good for my life. I only trust myself. Obviously, when we just trust ourselves, we don't love God. So it's really important for us to draw that connection to obedience to God's commands is, is sort of the precursor to love of Him. We can't love Him without that obedience. We can't love Him without that obedience. The last thing to mention is if God takes this great initiative, bringing us into existence, redeeming us, He asks for a response of obedience, and then finally, he promises that if we do that, we will be filled with incredible joy. Jesus tells the apostles after he asks for their obedience, his commandments in the gospel, that he says, I've told you this, why? So that my joy might be in you, and your joy might be complete. The reason I've told all of this to you, he says, is because I want you to be totally full of joy. That's why. Not because I need anything but so that you become full of joy. 
And I think there's two quick mistakes that we can make too. When we, when we hear phrases uh, from the Lord or other places in the New Testament where we hear things like, I want your joy to be complete. Right, a similar one, I mentioned this on Friday at Daily Mass, so maybe, maybe we're here, but uh, another similar phrase would be, and St. Paul says, eye is not seen, ear is not heard what God has prepared for those who love Him. I think we make a couple mistakes when we, we hear lines like that in the Gospels and in the rest of the New Testament about this sort of radical completion of, of joy and fulfillment. The first is that we can think of those promises as only referring to heaven. You know, often we read this line, so that your joy might be complete, and we'll automatically think, oh, Jesus is talking about heaven only, not this life. And to some extent that's true. However, it's really important that we also don't lower the bar to the kind of joy that God wants to give us even in this life. Those of you who have read the lives of the saints will understand what I mean. As the saints progress throughout their life in being purified of self-love and arrive to a point where their hearts are so radically open to receive what God wants to give them, the kind of joy that He gives them in these higher stages of the spiritual life is, is incomprehensible. They constantly talk about how they're not able to describe it. It's so deep and overwhelming. They'll, they'll say things like, I would undergo a thousand deaths for three seconds of that kind of joy that the Lord has given me. Right? These are radical experiences of joy. Most of us don't experience them simply because we're not generous enough with God and allowing Him to purify us over time. But the kind of joy He wants to give us is, is really, really extraordinary and, and radical. St. Faustina, towards the end of her life, I just finally finished reading her diary slowly over the course of a year. And towards the end of her life, and she had many instances of these in her diary, but I just want to pull one out and, and, and leave it with you to, to make sure that we don't make the mistake of thinking that this kind of fullness of joy is just for heaven. And also that we don't make the mistake of thinking that when Jesus says fullness of joy, it's just some generic thing, like I want you to be fulfilled, I want you to be happy. Way more intense than that, way better than that, way more overwhelming than that. This is just one example from Faustina's diary when she's describing one of these experiences of being overwhelmed with God's love. She says, Today, a living flame of divine love entered my soul. If it had lasted any longer, I would have been consumed by the fire, freeing myself of the bonds of this present life. If it had lasted any longer, I would have died, in other words, is what she's saying. That's how intense the joy was. It seemed to me that if it had lasted an instant longer, I would have been drowned in an ocean of love. I cannot describe these arrows of love that pierce my soul. I need to make sure that we, we don't conceive of Jesus' promises of joy as just referring to heaven, nor that in this life we lower them to just a very generic kind of fulfillment. What he wants to give us is something totally incomprehensible. So my encouragement this morning is to just Ask yourself what, what you can do to really allow Him, allow Him more fully into your heart so that He can keep purifying it so it becomes more and more capable of receiving exactly what He wants to give to you.